Church, open your Bibles. We are going to be back in the book of Ecclesiastes in a sermon series that I have called Chasing the Wind, and we've taken, well, we, by next week we'll have taken 14 weeks to make our way through that ancient wisdom from Solomon that's in the Scriptures for our benefit. Before we dive in this morning, I just want to uh, welcome some folks. I'm looking out and just seeing a number of new people that are with us, and you know, I think what's kind of going on right now is kind of things are thawing a little bit, and COVID is uh, kind of receding, and so we're seeing some new people that maybe are in our area and that are saying, hey, we want to check out CCF. We welcome you. We're glad you're here today, and we hope we get a chance to engage with you after the service. I also want to welcome somebody that's been a while since she's been with us, but it's Libby Dermanstein. She's right over here with Dawn. We want to welcome Libby and Dawn with us. And so again, it's so good to see your faces today also. Well, friends, one of the things that I love about CCF is uh, we are an uh, intergenerational church. And um, I love the age distribution. I've loved the age, age distribution for a long, long time, a lot of years to see children and to see youth and to see uh, young married people with us, uh, midlifers, empty nesters, and even just some gray hairs. Uh, I, I love that. And one of the things that uh, is awesome about that is that it's a great environment for uh, growing disciples. What we find out is that we need each other. We need each other uh, to learn. We need each other to understand the different phases of life. We need each other for wisdom that we've perhaps learned along the way that we get to transfer. What we're finding, again, is that we need each other in order to grow into godliness. And the, having that age span is one of the things that really is beneficial for a church. Today's passage is about young and old. The first half of the passage will be especially appropriate for those who are still young and have a level of physical strength, kind of at the prime, as it were, of at least the physical component of your life. You'll notice that the last half of the passage is for those that are well older. And maybe you've seen the, uh, the backdrop of kind of the best years of your physical life, but maybe you're at the peak more of your spiritual life. And so again, the back half of the passage is going to be for the AARP crowd, and we are welcoming you today too. It's not easy to get old, to watch those years that are perhaps some of your best years that are in the past. And what you all find as you live a little bit of life is that age, it kind of creeps up on you. You know you're old when, you know you're old when you constantly talk about the price of gasoline. (laughs) Maybe that's all of us right now, right? We all go to the pump and we're a little startled by that, but perpetually older people, they talk about the price of gas. You know you're old when people call you at 9 9 p.m. and say, did I wake you? You know, that's true. You know you're old when you look at your phone contacts and most of them start with doctor. You know you're old when you've owned clothes so long that they've come back in fashion twice. Yeah. You know you're old when your joints are more accurate than the meteorologists on TV. And you know you're old when your secrets are safe with your friends because they can't remember it anyway. Most of you know my mom is 97 years old. I spend every Monday with her. And my mom has a saying that she says a lot. I'm in good shape for the shape I'm in. Maybe you've heard some older people say that too. And what what they're telling us with saying that is, I'm still there up here. But it's just my body's not participating anymore. I'm not what I used to be. 
Today's passage is about polar opposites. It's about being young and it's about being old. And what we're going to find is that Solomon is going to give us three R's that are going to be applied to the young and to the old. Three R's, maybe slightly different applications according to whether you're young or whether you're old, but three R's of how to live a meaningful life. And he's going to specifically contrast, compare and contrast those old and young times in our lives, but he's going to say, these are three things I want you to get, three things I want you to apply. And so we're going to cover those in the passage today. Normally, you know this about me. I normally read the entire passage, and then we cover it together. I felt led this week in order to read each section right before we cover that section. I think it just maybe have a little bit more impact on us if I do it that way. So that's the way I've chosen to do it today. We're going to pick up in chapter 11, starting in verse 7. And this is the way Solomon starts off this section on the young and on the old. He says this, Light is sweet, and it's a pleasure for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years... Let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. We know that word by now. It's hevel. It's like vapor. It's something we can't grasp. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that in all these things, God will bring you into judgment. The first R I want to cover this morning is said twice, and it is rejoice. He says that two times. If you're old, rejoice. If you're young, rejoice. And he's saying something to us about life. He compares and contrasts as it starts out. He's saying, you all remember the sunlight. It's great to see the sunlight in, in your eyes uh, in the morning sun of the day. He says, but it's not always going to be that way. It's going to tilt towards darkness. And so he's comparing and contrasting that sunlight, that time of vibrancy, with the time when you're older and it begins to get dark. And he says, in both of those instances, you are called to rejoice. What about the young? You rejoice because, well, life is your oyster. God has given you many opportunities, both physically and in just opportun opportunities within your life, to go and do great things. And he says, you know, you rejoice in those moments. Can we rejoice for just a moment with somebody in our congregation? I want to rejoice this morning with Nick Furtado, because Nick played the role in his high school play, Enemy of the People, and he knocked it out of the park. Is Nick with us today? He's teaching across the street. Of course he would be. <laughs> Way to go, Nick, on that score too, right? But Nick played in the lead role in his high school play, and I talked to him the day after, and he said it was so much work, but I enjoyed it so much. And you could tell that young man was just like coming down off the mountaintop, looking for the, the next big adventure of his life. And we rejoice with Nick today. It's a great thing to be alive and it's a great thing to have something that you enjoy doing so much. And he's an epitome of that. What are some other examples of that times where we rejoice because our hearts are just filled up? I know one of them for many of you and it would be the birth of your, your baby, your birth of your child. And you remember looking at them and saying, that's just about the most beautiful child I've ever seen in my life. And you just love you know, bringing them in and hugging them and feeling the, the, the skin of their, their neck and their face and just how tender it is. 
And, and, and it's just like, man, is this a pinch me moment. It's so good to be alive at this very moment. And you rejoice. One of the ones that you rejoice at is a spring day and the crack of a bat at it, as it just hits the sweet spot of a pitched ball. And you can just feel if you're the one that hit that ball, you're the one that's feeling just the rhythm of your body and it's just all in motion and you did it and it, it's just a moment. But you don't even have to be the one that hit it. You could be on the sidelines. You could be that parent that's watching with joy in your heart that your son or daughter just did that, just performed that act. And you're just like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure it gets better than this. It's so good at this moment. And you're just feeling that surge of rejoicing in your heart. Here's another one that I know almost all of us have felt at some time. And it's rejoicing at the moment of a sunrise or a sunset. And for me, it's almost always at that, 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 that magical moment is when it's over a body of water. Maybe it's over the Puget Sound and you just are watching that sunrise or that sunset. Maybe it's over a lake. Maybe it's over the Grand Pacific Ocean. And you're just, you're in that moment, you're saying, I'm just going to clock this away because this is just one of those, those great moments of life. What is that, that time of rejoicing? What's that time in your heart where it just wells up within you and I say, you got, or you say, I've got to rejoice? Well, in case we needed any help with this, Solomon says, there's two pieces of guidance I want to give you about how to rejoice well, how to do this well. And he says, the first thing I want you to do is follow your heart. Follow your heart. That's what he says. In fact, there are ways in which you are, you're following the ways in which your heart is, is given over to the things that your eyes are seeing and that you're, wanna doing, you're wanting to do. And again, some of you are nervous. It's like, should we tell young people, you know, just do everything you want to do? And it's like, that sounds dangerous. Well, he's, you know, he's going to have some uh, advice on that. But for now, he's just saying, hey, there's all kinds of good things around you. And if you're seeing those good things, wait into them. This is the time of youth, the time to do that. Some of you are a little reluctant to do that, honestly. You have convinced yourself in some way that if you really want to do that, it must not be the best thing for you or it must not be very good. And you're kind of a little, well, you're a little down in some ways. And you're like, I probably should do the thing I really don't want to do. And Solomon says to that, you know, that's a shame, that's a, that's a shame you feel that way because God has given us all so many things that are a joy to be explored and he wants us to go out and do those. Here's some examples. Go on that missions trip. Just, just do it. Go for it. Climb that mountain. Learn how to sail. Pick up a new language. Enjoy a latte. Go fishing. Read a good book in the sun. Take a class just for the fun of it. Friends, the idea matches more of the Bible than you might imagine. And it's a shame that many of us view the scriptures as just one big form of restriction. One restriction after another. That is not the heart of God. The heart of God is freedom for us. In fact, I want to bring to you Colossians chapter 2 right now. And this is the way that Paul describes it in Colossians 2. Do I have that there? No, don't see that one? So, I'm sorry, I forgot to put that one in. Let me say it, let me, let me tell you that one. He says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish because they are based on human commands and teachings. 
Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom or an appearance, some translations say, of godliness, but with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, they lack any real value in restraining sexual indulgence. Now, again, that last little piece, they lack any value in that, but many times they're lacking value in just life. Because it's all one big imposition after another of don't do this, don't do that, don't touch this, don't taste, touch that. And he's saying that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that you would go out and that you would enjoy the many opportunities that he's given you to wade into. And true godliness is found in that level of freedom. Now, in case we get you know, a little blurry-eyed here, there is some boundaries around this and that's why he says this. The judgment of God is the boundaries for some of our actions because he says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. And so again, he's not giving away the farm. He's not you know, saying, you know, just go sow your wild oats. No, he's not saying that. He's saying there is a boundary and the boundary out there is there's some things that are evil. There's some things that are good. And go and have fun, he's saying, but do those within the boundaries of, of what is right or what is wrong. And there's a, a big playing field out there. I mean, even think of the Garden of Eden. Eat from every tree except for this one. You know, there's just one restriction. It's right over here. But eat from all of the trees, and that's God's heart, is that he's given us so much that we're able to pursue with just a little bit of boundary, but pay attention to that boundary because he says in the final analysis, God is a judging God. He's a gracious God, but God is also a judging God. All right. That's the first R that we are to exercise as both young and old, and it's rejoice. If you're older, you're probably rejoicing over some things that are maybe in the past. If you're young, you're rejoicing in the moment right now in which you get to get in and just go for it. All right, the second R is found in verse 10. Let's read that section now, and I'll comment on that. Here it is, verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and put away the pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity, havel. He says the second thing that we're to do is remove two things from our lives. And the first that we're to remove from our lives is vexation. Now that is not a word I use very often. You probably don't either. And it's a little word and it's a confusing word. And I need to explain what that word means. Vexation is any problem that angers, grieves, or irritates you. It's any problem that angers, grieves, or irritates you. Let me give you one of my vexations. I thought about this this week, and it's like, when do I kind of get worked up on the inside? I get worked up, and I am vexed when I'm in the left-hand turn lane, and I can see the person in front of me is looking down, and they're looking at their text messages on their phone. And by the time they look up, five seconds have passed, and guess what? They always make it through that light. They always do. And everybody behind them is completely hosed. <laughs> vexation. That is my vexation. And I know that's a little vexation. Some of you also have some little vexations. Maybe that dog that keeps coming into your yard and it's like, eh, vexation. Those are little ones. Maybe there's some bigger vexations that we all have. I think some of those exist also. Maybe you're really concerned about the moral course of our country. I am. And that leaves you vexed because you're grieved and irritated. Here's a big one for all of us right now. We're vexed over Ukraine. And we're just thinking about that. And we're like, all of that destruction and that human misery and that death and people that are 
forced to leave, you know, more than three million now that are forced to leave their home. In fact, let's just stop for a moment and pray for Ukraine. We haven't done that in a while. I want to do that. Lord, we lift the Ukraine to you. And we think about all those people that have been displaced. Some have fled the country, but others are just staying there and bombed out buildings and surroundings without much now uh, food or water or supply. And man, do we pray your blessing upon these individuals and your, your care upon these individuals. Lord, we also pray in confidence that over the course of many years, you've stopped those who've perpetuated evil. Even though they may look strong, you've stopped them. And we pray that right now for Russia and specifically Vladimir Putin. Would you defang that man? And Lord, we're asking for you to do some miraculous things in the midst of this and to care for a nation that you love and people that you love and people that you want to bring your gospel to. And so we lift the Ukraine in this messy situation to you right now. And we do that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining me in that. Well, there's many things that can vex us, and here's what I want to also remind you. The things that vex you might not be the things that vex me. The things that irritate you might not be the things that irritate me. In fact, you might not be irritated at all at the left-hand turn lane looking at text because you might be that person. I don't know. (laughs) You know, that's, that's possible. Here's what he says. He says, remove vexation from your heart. How do you do that? How do you get in with a crowbar and pry out the vexation that is in your heart. I mean, that is a great thing. And honestly, he doesn't really tell us how. So we have to go to another spot in the scriptures where I think there is a given an answer to that. And I think I have this one, Philippians chapter four. Did I have that one? Yeah, yes, thank you. Okay, I, I did write on that one. That was my fault on the other one. So again, forgive me for that. Philippians chapter four. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, here it is, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What is the solution that Paul gives here for the things that vex us, irritate us, confront us, our anxiety to us? He says, deposit those with God. Bring those to God. Give those over to God. Deposit them at the throne, at the cross, and say, God, I don't know what to do with this. Too big for me. Ukraine situation, too big for me but I'm giving that over to you and somehow that floods back to peace in our hearts as we are giving vexation over to God. And so he says again, that's something you are to remove from your lives is vexation. And again, one of the most powerful ways to do that is to deposit that burden over to a capable God. There's one more thing that we are to do and that is we are to Uh, also remove from our lives pain from our bodies, he says. Remove pain from your bodies. And you're like, wow, I wish it was just that easy. All I've got to do is just say, remove the pain from my body, and it would be gone. And and, and again, I I think he's he's not saying that tongue-in-cheek at all. He's saying, to the extent possible, remove pain from your body. And this is one of the clearest examples in all the Scripture of the good use of medicine, of why we should use medicine. Doctors and nurses and procedures and medications are all a good thing for us because they allow us to do what he's saying and practicing here, which is to be removing pain from our bodies. And we thank God for that opportunity. And if at all possible, if that will help us, we move forward and we do that. But I think there's one other idea here of pain in your body that I think is appropriate to us that he may have in mind and that some of you need to hear today. 
Because some of you need to hear that you're fearfully and wonderfully made because you have a bad image of your body. You don't think positively of your body. And, and, and God is saying something to you here today. He's saying, would you just remove that idea from your mind? Because, you know, I've made you fearfully and wonderfully in my image. You're not too tall. You're not too short. You're not too skinny. You're not too fat. God didn't make a mistake in the color of your eyes or in the size of your nose. The color of your skin, the size of your foot, all of them are, are just as he planned. And they're just right. And to give ourselves a level of freedom and really acceptance of what God has given, much like, again, God accepts us himself as we are, is something that is very good for us. Because again, we live in a nip-tuck society in which most people are not very satisfied with their bodies and are therefore going and having procedures in order to remedy that, as it were. And he's saying, hey, as much as possible, accept your body. As much as possible, accept the way I have made you as gloriously in my image. And especially when you're young, you're young don't complicate matters. There's lots of other things to complicate your life with. I want you to have a good sense of who you are and how God has made you. All right. We are removing from our lives vexation and pain in our bodies. There's one more R. He picks it up in chapter 12, verse 1. And before I read this, before I read this, I want you to just get your minds ready. Because what you're going to hear right now is one of the most beautiful poems that has ever been written about getting old. And, and, and it's just like, this one just stands out. It's just like heads and shoulders above other ways of describing growing old. And I've gone back to this many times in my life as I'm visiting somebody older, as maybe I'm, I'm even feeling older, I've gone back to this and said, wow, that is a, a, a word picture of what it's like to be old. Here's what Solomon says, starting in verse one. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They're afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond trees blossom, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern and dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities. Havel of Havel, says the preacher. All is vanity. He specifically says to young and to old that we are to, and he says it twice, remember your creator. And that's the final R. Remember your creator. Let's explore a little bit about the way that Solomon describes this process of getting old. 
And by old, he means that many bodily functions are starting to fail. Your body is stopping working. And I'm reminded of a story of a woman who worked at an orthopedic specialist, and she remembered the day when she was making special arrangements for a man to come in. And he was coming in to have a special procedure. It was a spinal injection to relieve him of some pain. He called the man, she called the man, got him on the phone, and he said, man, I'm so glad you reached me because I was worried that you were not going to reach me because my hearing is failing me. He says, I can barely hear, I can barely see, I can barely walk. But then he added cheerfully, things could be worse, at least I can still drive. <laughs> Solomon paints the picture of what it's like to get old. And he says, to start off with, it's like a coming storm. It's like a storm that you know is on the way. It's going to come and hit. And he says, in this case, the rains come, and you would think everything's going to clear up again, but they don't. The storms just keep on coming, one after another after another. It's March in Seattle, right? I mean, that's what it is. And he says, they just keep coming, and you can't escape them. And that's that sense of impending gloom or doom that is... Is, is facing many times those that are feeling older. Next he gives, after this idea of the storm that you can't escape from, he gives the idea of a house that is falling into disrepair. And Christians over many, many generations have seen this passage right here, and they've said, you know, I best understand that if I apply it to body parts. If I look at this as the house that's in disrepair is like the body that's falling in disrepair. Let me give you an example here. I've got this up here for us of what the Ecclesiastes 12 house might be. The keepers, he says, are those that are, are failing. And he says that might be the equivalent, or in our, our case, that might be the equivalent of arms that are beginning to tremble. Keepers tremble, it might be the arms that are trembling. Strong men, he says, are bent which might be the equivalent of the arms or the back, the trunk of the body that's now bent over. He says the grinders, they're failing. There are few of them, he says. And that could be teeth. That makes sense, right? Of, of older people, again, the teeth are starting to decay or fall out. My dad, when he was older, he's, he's gone now, but I still remember being with him. He says, I lost a tooth today. And I said, did it hurt? He said, no. He says, it just kind of broke off. And it's like as you get older, apparently you lose some of that some of, some of that painful sensation. But again, the grinders are failing. The windows might be the eyes which have dimmed and they no longer see everything clearly. The doors, he said, to the streets are now closed and there's this sense of, uh, of just being trapped inside, as it were, and your whole life begins to really be around your immediate surroundings. He says the sound of the bird may indicate, again, the absence of sleep and many people have difficulty sleeping when they're older and so the sound of a bird just wakes them up. When you're older, just try to sleep in. It's almost impossible. He says they're fearful of high things and there's a sense of terror. There's a sense usually of high things or of falling for older people or of being attacked. Everything seems to be uh, uh, one, one thing waiting to get you that's outside, whether it's a, a trip, a falling hazard, or, or somebody that might accost you in some way. He says that the, there's the almond blossoms. And if you've ever been around almond blossoms or almond trees, that you know that they fill up about springtime with this beautiful canopy of white. And he's saying that's what it's like to be older. And your hair, obviously, is turning that white color, if you have hair. And it's a good thing to have white hair, I guess. Better than no hair. He indicates this grasshopper, he says, that drags itself along. 
I keep on envisioning this grasshopper that maybe has a walker or a cane. And, you know, he used to just bounce around everywhere, but now he's like, he's just this little grasshopper that's trying to make his way. And he says, that's what it is like. And he says, of course, desire fails. That's probably a reference to sexual desire, but it's many other kinds of desire that you had in your life that you no longer can pursue anymore. And that is now faded. That's on its way out. And he concludes this section with this image of a golden lamp of some kind that is suspended by a silver chain or a silver cord. And he says, it's there, and all of a sudden, the the silver cord breaks, and the golden lamp falls to the ground and shatters. And it's this beautiful metaphor for the final end of when it's all over and all said and done, and it's all wrapped up. That's the end of life. I was with my mother last week, and I asked my mother, Mom, what what part of your body is failing right now that worries you the most? And she said, uh, immediately, she said, I think my eyes. She goes, my eyes are just not what they were once. We recently got a new pair of glasses, but it's not completely dialed in, and that's another story. But then she quickly changed. She said, no, 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 it's not my eyes. It's my legs. My legs are the things. They just can't hold me up like they used to, and that really worries me. And so it was very real for me to be in this passage and be with my mom because I felt like this passage was being lived out in living color. Her stoop, her diminished vision, her fear, the hypersensitivity, that at times she would even say crankiness. And it's all being lived out right in front of me. And it makes me redouble my efforts to apply this passage and say, Mom, let's take a minute to remember our, your creator. That's what we're charged to do. And it's getting to the spot now where there's not much left for you. The Savior and the Redeemer is the one that is the most important to you. And that's what he says for both young and old. Remember your creator. Remember your creator if you're young because those days are coming in which that's what's going to be your life. If you're already there, remember your creator because that's what you have left and you have hope that still remains in him. Take courage. Don't follow, fall into a, a sense of despair because your creator still has something planned for you. What is that plan? He's going to return. He's going to usher you into heaven. He's going to give you a new body if you are in Christ. And you've got a whole other eternity now to live in which your body no longer is failing but is fully functioning. And you have that to look forward to. And that's an awesome thing. Solomon has given a realistic assessment of what it looks like to get old and what it looks like to also live while you're young. And here is his three R's of advice. Rejoice, remove, remember. Rejoice, remove, remember. That's what he's telling us to apply today. Like I said, this message is good for both young and old. If you're older, there still can be a meaningful time in your life. It may seem fleeting at times, but there may be something that God still has purpose for you to accomplish And I think maybe the words of Billy Graham is what I'd like to conclude with today. And Billy Graham uh, described getting older himself uh, before his death a number of years ago now. And he wrote some of those down in his book called Nearing Home. So if you find yourself in that older crowd today, I want to specifically talk to you and use Billy Graham as uh, an encouragement to you. Here's what he says. He says, when Coca-Cola changed its 100-year-old formula in 1985, there was a public backlash and demands for the original. 
So within two short months, the company was forced to return the beverage to the grocery shelves under the name Coca-Cola Classic, spiking sales for the soft drink company. The conclusion of marketers was that the formula had stood the test of time. The trade secret had trumped the new recipe as proven by millions of fans who did not want the real thing tampered with. What does this have to do with growing old? He says, old is authentic. Old is genuine. Old is valuable. Some even say old is beautiful. The older generation may have a tough time keeping up with the younger, but let's remember that as long as we're still breathing, we're still leading the way. The, gener the generations that follow are learning about growing old from us. Are we good examples? While we have all made mistakes and would like to turn back the clock to correct some things, we know it, it, that that's not possible. But the lessons we've learned from our successes and failures can help those following behind. The impact can potentially have, that we can have potentially on others would make the difference between leaving good memories in our place or simply being out of sight and out of mind. Billy Graham says, as a reminder to all of us, we are examples to others. And the way that we grow old is being watched by others, and it's either going to be a good example of what it means to grow old gracefully and trust God in the midst of that, or not. And I'm calling older saints at CCF today to be that example. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, and live out a life that demonstrates your love of God. Live to honor God, whether you're young or you're old, for God is the God of both the young and the old. Lord, your wisdom is given graciously to us, and it stands the test of time. Solomon wrote these words thousands of years ago now, and yet its perpetual value to us is evident. It's, it's beautiful what he's written here today. And right, we all can say, I can see myself living in the midst of that. And we thank you for that, Lord. You have not left us abandoned in any way. You've given us your spirit, you've given us your word, and you've given us hope and faith in Jesus our Savior. And it's in his name we pray today. Amen. Let's...